This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. Here's your host, Drew Dalby. Hi, it's Jason Greger from TSN 1260. Now, where does Jason Greger get his start? Did you want to be anything but sports in radio? No, that's that's all I wanted to do. I I was kind of a sports nut. I read the paper, uh, and I know maybe some of our listeners don't know what that is, but (laughs) I grew up uh, reading both of the papers uh, every day probably since the age I was 10, uh, always a sports section, but, but I read comics and, and a lot of the other sections as I got older. And, uh, you know, I played hockey, not at, not at any r- real level, just a little uh, jungle bee, basically. And when I was done, I worked in the oil field for, for six or, well, probably about seven years, really, from the time I was 18. And then so one day in, uh, I realized that it was not what I wanted to do as I found myself uh, lying under a sink because the roommate was snoring and I couldn't sleep and I just said man there's got to be more to life than this so I uh, got back to Edmonton and looked up uh, how to get into uh, radio broadcasting and uh, went to uh, Tennessee and I uh, had to actually upgrade some some high school classes which was a little shot to your ego when you're 26 years of age but I knew what I didn't want to do and uh, that was stay working in the oil field and I, hey trust me I respect everybody who does it it just wasn't my thing anymore and so I went back to school and then took a shot. It's funny. People sort of assume that if you go to radio school, like, oh, what, the, the, the level of education needed to go to radio school can't possibly be that high. But then when you actually try to apply and you see some of the standards they have set, it, it's an eye-opener. Yeah, a lot of it had to do with me being lazy in high school, really. It's <laughs> like, you, you need 80s. And uh, you know, so I had to go back and upgrade. And I really only needed to upgrade one class, but that class was at 11 in the morning. So... I thought it was kind of a waste of my morning either way. I couldn't, I couldn't work, uh, you know, in the morning and then go to 11 o'clock class. So I ended up taking three courses, uh, science, math, and uh, English. And when you're older and I think you got a little more life experience and, and you're prepared, uh, school was easy. I, I did my homework. And uh, the only thing that bothers me of, of my upgrading was I had, not, I had 100% in math until the final exam and got one wrong. So that still bothers me today. <laughs> I never had 100% in anything, and I was close. So, um, you know, it was good for me, and I, th- I think it helped going to Nate to – to upgrade i was told if you did the college prep course there that you know that would help your application and uh so luckily i, I got in and uh, and started in in january of uh, 2000 so what was it like being the 26 27 year old sports guy in a radio broadcasting class that's generally full of people fresh out of high school i was uh, older but you know what i had a few other guys andrew and trevor who were just a, a few years younger than me and then uh, because the first year, of course, at Nate, there's 30 kids and 18 in TV and 12 in radio. So for the first semester, you're together. And I was the oldest, but really only by a few months. And I, I think there was five or six people within a year or two. So at that age, it wasn't much of a difference. But to the 18-year-olds, yeah, there was a, you know, there's a little bit of a life experience difference. But I was looked up to by the young kids because, you know, you just have more life experience. So I was one of the few times ever where, you know, I was like, wow, I felt like the smart guy. So it was different at first, but once I got into school, I knew what I wanted to do, and I, uh, I kept pictures of, of me working in the oil field uh, at my desk when I studied, just as motivation if I ever decided to slack off. I was like, I do not want to go back there, so uh, i got to do my homework. Now, I know when I went to Nate, uh, in the news class, it's kind of a news sports class, but the emphasis is on news, and every time we were sent out to do a news story, my inclination was to find something relating to sports to the point where my news instructor told me if you give me one more sports story i'm going to give you a zero did you ever run into that problem no um I, you know i'm trying to think back when in, in my class like we had ron dirt in my first year he was my favorite teacher I, I learned a lot from ron you know it was outstanding really really made you think and and question things which is kind of my personality anyway so i really like that 
Um, when, when we got into having to do the radio production, like I was, I'm not the guy who is going to go in there and be this creative genius and have super sound effects and, and, and different things like that. And like, I wasn't, you know, I, I think school has really changed a lot. I was kind of at the, at the, uh, the last years of people who, who didn't do a lot of hosting their own shows. Nowadays, everybody that goes to that school, you know, they're all hosting their own show on NR92 all the time. And, yeah, I kind of felt like the, the radio, I didn't take that very serious. I took my class serious. I took my project serious, but you know, I did a little bit of play by play for the, for the hockey team. That was kind of my thing. I thought oh, that's something I want to get into, but I was, I knew I never wanted to be a DJ. I didn't take it very serious. And luckily I got into sports because I never would have stayed in radio because, you know, getting in and out and hitting the post and that stuff, I was terrible at. I had no interest. I can, I can sing along to most songs. Can I tell you who the uh, artist is? No. Can I tell you the name of the song? Never. But I can sing along. And so I would have been like the worst radio DJ because I'm like, oh, here's uh, Justin Bieber. And that's it. Because I know nothing about it. I do know at the beginning of my class, like first semester, they told, because there is always a handful in TV and in radio of guys that are just there for sports. They all think they're going to be the next the next Ron McLean or what have you. And our instructors really quickly explain sports is about the hardest thing in radio to get into because it's so specialized. Did you did you ever get any warnings or any? Did anybody ever talk you out of it or try to talk you out of it? You know what? No, I, I think um, I think my teacher saw that, that sports was my passion. That's what I was good at. I've got a stupid memory. I, I can remember a lot of things. Uh, you know, for many years ago for statistics, which is good. And uh, I've always had an opinion. So luckily, you know, I never had anybody say no. And I really lucked out because in my third semester, I was working part time with a, a guy who I grew up listening to, a radio legend in Edmonton, John Short. And I, I got a lucky job where uh, a guy was graduating in Nate and he was moving on and they needed someone to be his on-site engineer because uh, you know, Johnny was uh, illiterate when it came to technology. So lucky enough, I got to do that. And, um, and Rob Kerr, who now, of course, is in Calgary, he had gotten sick really bad for a month. And so I had to fill in every night on John's show. I was only supposed to fill in on order home games, which would have been like, you know, maybe five or six nights a week. But I ended up having to do a month straight with John. And um, I think he saw something in me, and that, that really kind of spurred on my opportunity to to, uh, to work with him right out of school and uh, start covering the Eskimos. So I never had anybody say no to it. Um, I think that's what they, you know, I thought they wanted to do. I would do every project, whether, and I could do a news story for sure. I was always interested in, in other things. Sports is my passion, but I'm, uh, I like learning, and so I was always interested in doing the other things. But I, I was never going to, uh, you know, dig deep into a, a big news story. I, you know, I, I was more into kind of the human interest stories more than I was ever into news because, sadly, uh, most of the news, they always wanted to report on the negative, and after a while, that got boring to me. So you get this uh, this gig with John Short, who an absolute legend in the industry, and I, I know this because I got to work with John Short in my short career in sports as well. Sitting with John for an hour was almost more valuable than a month of, of learning in school, just the stories that he could tell you. When you got to start working with him full time, did, did you really try to pick his brain to, to, to get more of that insight? You know what? I, I grew up listening to John. I actually called into a show, and um, the easiest job interview I ever had to do for John's show was sit down because basically he just asked me sports questions and wanted to see what my level of sports knowledge was on different things, and uh, I found it was great. And, you know, just a lot of times just sitting talking to John during commercial breaks, um, you know, picking his brain on, and a lot of times not so much asking him questions, just listening and watching kind of what he did. And every now and then I would ask a question. But the thing that worked well for my personality and John's was 
I was a go-getter. I wasn't afraid to go try something. And I would ask John, hey, can I go do this? And he never would say no. He said, here, knock your, knock your, knock your socks off and go try it. And, um, you know, so when I went and started covering the Eskimos, you know, part of my, you know, being naive, I didn't really understand that you weren't just supposed to ask the player, hey, man, do you want to come on our radio show tonight? Give me your phone number. We'll call you. And, you know, the players had a rapport with me. They trusted me. I wasn't a guy who, who was ever intimidated by sports players. To me, they're just human beings. And, I, you know, they're good, they're good athletes. Doesn't mean they're better people than me. And I think if you treat them like normal athletes, you'll have a much better rapport. And so suddenly I was calling, you know, I was setting up John's show. I was producing it for them. And, you know, all of a sudden he was having Eskimo players live on the show. And he's like, how are you doing this? I'm like, well, I just asked him for their phone number. So I, I learned that, you know, it's necessarily not the best way you're supposed to go through their PR. But the Eskimos at that time weren't getting a ton of coverage. So they really liked it. And Dave Jamison, who now works with me at the time, was the their media guy. And Dave trusted me that I wouldn't abuse it, you know, and I wasn't going to call these guys and, I didn't want to be buddies with them. I just needed their phone number so we'd get them on the show. A lot of people uh, who watch sports, who love sports, sort of look at the locker room as being sort of a sacred thing, like a sacred area. When you got your first chance to go into that Eskimos locker room, you said you weren't intimidated by the players, but did you sort of stop to take in the atmosphere at all the first time? Well, funny enough, uh, my first training camp was uh, when it was uh, at the, the World Championships right, of 2001, so the Eskimos weren't at Commonwealth Stadium for training camp. They were out in Spruce Grove, so they were, and, and they were actually at the barracks at the, at the, at the base, so on 97th Street in the mail, so you know, trust me, there was no history of football in that dresser. So that might have helped me, you know, looking back on it, that you just walk in and it's kind of this makeshift locker room, so you're just like, ho-hum, and um, I don't, like, my brother played minor pro hockey, being to Oilers, and training camp and one of my buddies I, I grew up with had been drafted so I, that, that stuff I never I, I don't know I was never racing oh wow I've never that's I've never kind of been wowed by a, a certain situation of, of going into the locker room now the first time I went in the order room was, was kind of cool to me I wasn't overwhelmed by it it was just like okay here's where the stuff happens and you, you thought it was cool now seeing the Eskimo uh, locker room for the first time afterwards but luckily I think for, for two months of covering them in training camp I didn't get to go in it. So by that time, uh, I think maybe the, uh, um, you know, being uh, overwhelmed w- was passed by. So I probably lucked out that my first time ever covering a pro team, I wasn't in their facility. It was in a makeshift base out at the Army base. And, you know, you didn't really have a feel of, you know, being above you or anything like that. Now, did John start eventually, because uh, I know with most of his producers, he eventually starts to work them into the show a little bit more, coming on, giving takes and, and conversations, especially when the phone lines can be a little bit dry some nights. When did you finally start to get that on-air experience? Honestly, it was the third night on the show with John. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was kind of stunned. He all of a sudden he just asked me, started asking me some questions, and, and away we went. And, and he said, hey, Jason, that was really good. And then so you know we, we did it more after that. And he would say, hey, don't book as many guests. I want to talk to you about different things. So I, I was really lucky. I was kind of like, wow. I'm like I was, uh, you know, it, you, you talk about the only time I ever kind of felt over, well, just like, wow, this is cool, was talking to John Short more than it was ever going into a, to a dressing room for me. It was just like, hey, John values my opinion. And that was that was a big deal for me, and it's something I never forgot. And I think it's something that uh, you know I always try to do. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of guys come, uh, you know, and do their practicum with me. Um, you know, it's 15 years later now, which is crazy. And you know, I give guys opportunities all the time because you know what? It's you can give somebody the opportunity, and after that, it's all up to them and whether or not they're going to run with it. And you know, John, you know, God bless him, gave me an opportunity, and I was I was lucky enough to to be in the right place at the right time and, and be willing to work hard and and kind of got a break. 
because you know I, I don't necessarily know if I'm way more talented than anybody else, but I would put my work ethic up against most people. And I think that's like in any job when you look at the successful people, it's the ones who are willing to work the hardest to do everything. And for the first really 10, 12 years of my career, it was pretty much all about my job. You know, I, I went to all the games. I loved it. I went everywhere and I loved it. I never, I never looked at it as a job, really. Now, you guys were on CJCA, correct? Well, we started at CFRN back when it was oldies, and John had his show from 9 to midnight, and I was there for about a year. And then uh, John late in his career, he wanted a shot to go uh, in the afternoon against the Brian Hall, and uh, he was granted an opportunity at CJCA, which, so we had John's sports show in the afternoon from 4 to 6. And then we had a night show at night that I ended up hosting from 11 till 1, and the rest of it was a Christian station. So it wasn't necessarily the, uh, you know, the, the most usual fit. And really it was, you know, it was a Christian station, so it wasn't a, you know, big listener audience or anything. So I was kind of like I was in a small market, but I was in a major market living and getting to cover NHL teams and CFL teams. So it was really kind of the best of both worlds. I could screw up at night because I didn't have a, ma- a massive audience to, to get better at. But I was able to go and, and learn how to cover a pro team at the same time. So I really lucked out doing that for a year and a half at CJCA. How did the uh, the offer come about? Because you'd been working on John's show now at two stations. Did they just come to you and be like, do you want to do this? Uh, well, John um, when, when John kind of went over there, and we were I was kind of part of John's show because he, he was unique in radio that he owned his show at that time at, on CFRN at night. So they went over to CJCA, and they hired us. Kind of, there was myself and, and Rob and John and, and Will Fraser came on later uh, doing a lot of the internet stuff because not only did we have the radio show, we had AnySportAnyTime.com where we would do a lot of AJHL games and Prairie Junior football games and Nate hockey games and because and, John's passion was amateur sports. So we I got to do the play-by-play on all those games and ride the buses and everything like that. And so we worked there for about... Uh, six months, and then uh, Rob Kerr at the time was was always nattering in their ear to get a, an evening show, and so he hosted it, but he was only on for six months, and then he got uh, a job in Calgary, so then I took over and uh, was able to just kind of you know seamlessly work into that. So I would produce John's show and then host the show at night. Did you make any efforts to differentiate yourself from John, or was it more just about doing the best show you knew how to do and not really concerning yourself with what it sounded like compared to John's show? Yeah, well, I, I think you always have to be true to who you are. Um, I, you know, I, in my books, I was like, well, I'm never going to be John Short, right? Um, he, you know, he had way more boxing knowledge than me. Um, I, I had a, a, an interest of, of a curiosity. And, you know, and John told me once, he goes, Jason, your best attribute early on was you're a good interviewer. You can think of questions. You can make people feel comfortable and get them in. So that's really what I did. I came up with an idea, which, which I called the, the Gridiron Show, where I would get the football players on for an hour, but we wouldn't talk football. We would talk about their life and where they came from. And, and I learned so much about these guys, and I found that that actually got me way more insight about football because now these guys trusted me. They felt, okay, this guy is near. He's not going to screw me over. I was talking about, you know, childhood from some guys who grew up really poor in the south and and that was a great part of football i was getting introduced to people from walks of life i never had run into you know i grew up on a farm and outside of edmonton and new sarepta right just you know average alberta farm kid and i was talking to albert reese you know from southern mississippi and they would talk about these food that they eat and i was like are you kidding me this sounds terrible but then he would make it and he brought it into the studio and it was unbelievable and uh you know i learned from other guys who you know their family ran um, a funeral home and so you know his first job when he was 16 was to go and he literally had to you know pick up the dead bodies and the corpses and put them in and you know every now and then rigor mortis would set in and the guy would 
sit up in the in the uh, coffin and you're just like and so he was telling me these stories live on radio and i just found it so appealing i like the human interest side as much as i like breaking down sports i like to get to know the players and i think fans if they can relate to a guy you know um Albert Boos was a big defensive lineman, six foot six, two hundred ninety pounds, and he had lost a son the year earlier. And I didn't know that. And we started talking about things, and he was a very religious guy. And we got into that, and and you know the, the show eventually started talking about him losing his son. And so many emails, you know, from listeners, you know, people who had lost a child of their own, they really relate to it. And that was a big kind of green light for me, where I was like, fans want to relate to players. You know, after the X's and O's and winning, if they feel they can relate to the player they'll have way more passion to be a fan for them. And I think it's no different than musicians. If you find out your favorite musician has a similar interest in you, you're suddenly more drawn to that when you're like, okay, I got a connection with them. And that's what I found. And that was kind of my own stamp that I, that I put on a lot of my interviews. And I still try to do that today. Now, meanwhile, across town back at CFRN where you guys had sort of gotten started, they, Marty Forbes, Bryn Griffiths had this idea to go all sports and they actually made it happen, made it work, and it's still there today. Uh, when you guys were over at CJCA and you heard rumblings about this or heard them sort of take this to the air, you had to have wanted to get on that ship. You know, a little bit. I was, I was to be honest, I was kind of naive because, you know, we're doing it at CJCA. I have my own show, and you're like, hey, man, life is good. You know, I'm getting a good paycheck, and, and everything's rolling right along. And then, um, now... As I said before, uh, working at CJCA was a great opportunity, and, and you know you always got to look good at opportunities. But it was not a great fit. I didn't uh, I didn't see eye to eye with the owner, and so eventually, uh, you know, they realized that sports and, and religion weren't the, I guess the the best fit for them. So they actually canceled the show. And, and Drew, anybody who's been in radio, it's probably the, one of the rarest things. They called me in Wednesday morning and told me that Friday would be my last day. So I had to do three shows knowing that I had three shows left to do, which is, you know, I kind of laugh about it. If I wanted to, I probably could have sewered them and said a lot of things, but you have to realize that if you want to keep a job, you never burn any bridges. So we, I, and I didn't want a big farewell or nothing. So I didn't say anything until like the last five minutes of our show saying, Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. You know, this is kind of our last show. Uh, you know, we hope to, to show up somewhere else. And then, uh, basically, kind of the, a week later, uh, there was conversations with Marty Forbes and, and John, and so he brought uh, the, our two shows over to uh, CFRN, and John would host from 9 p.m. until 11 p.m., and then I would host from 11 till 1. And we bought the airtime, and so we, we were a collective group, and we bought the airtime, so I had to learn how to do sales. And trust me, I was not, I had no sales experience at any level of my life, and so that I did that for about a year and, or so, and I was starting to bring in some sales, but it was all going into the pot. And I was not really making any money. So I decided, you know, I talked to John and said, John, I'd like to try to go on my own. I talked to, uh, to Marty and, and Carl Stark at the time. And I said, guys, you know, do you mind? Like, hey, do you trust me? I'll pay my bills. This is what I need. And so I got a $5,000 loan from my mom. So I, I knew that I would have enough to cover my expenses for the first few months. And, and away I went and, and started uh, my own show in uh, uh, March of 2005, right after I had played in the world's longest game for 240 uh, straight hours. And, that's when my company started uh, uh, ten and a half years ago. And I still remember to this day uh, when I got to that building, going into the parking lot and seeing out of all these, you know, these nice cars lined up that were the salespeople and some of the management and then some of the more beat up cars over on the other side, those were the on-air people. And then there was this one car that was, it looked like a NASCAR. Literally every spot was covered by some sort of advertising. And then right there on the door was just a game with Jason Greger. Yeah, um, 
You, you, you learn to be a salesman, and uh, Kia, Sir, Kia West Edmonton, Larry Ricci, uh, took a chance on me uh, with Courtney Hutzel. I, I kind of lucked out golfing with Courtney. I told him what I did, and he was the sales manager at Kia. And a few months later, you know, we brokered a deal, and he's been my car sponsor ever since. So uh, I got a, a Kia Sorento that I would drive around, and, you know, we logoed it up, you know, Kia West Edmonton. And, you know, some of those first logo jobs were absolutely terrible. As you mentioned, like it was orange and just the writing, big, bold letters. Like I didn't have any guidance from anybody because I was kind of running it myself. So I've got pictures of those cars and yeah, they were terrible. So, but it, you know, it was a, it was a good learning experience and Hey, it got me a free car, man. So anybody, <laughs> I got a free car. I didn't have to pay for it. I was unbelievable. I was like, I thought I hit the lottery and I got a new car every six months because they didn't want to mile it out. So I would get a new car every six months. I thought it was awesome. And, uh, you know, drive around and, and, you know, after a few years having your name on your vehicle and, you know, people flipping you the bird, it's not necessarily the best thing, but it was great for the first few years. Now, was it still at CJCA when you took over the night show or was it when you came over to CFRN that you started teaming up with Will Fraser? Uh, no, Will and I were at uh, CJCA for, uh, for a few years. Uh, oh, I guess a, a year together, and then uh, when we came over t- to the night show, then yeah, um, like I owned the show, and then I I, I would uh, I hired Will, and you know I paid Will, and uh, so he kind of worked for for my company just in game productions, and then it's it's kind of morphed into that. We were at night, and then uh, we moved to the uh, to the afternoon show from uh, three to six in uh, September of two thousand and eight, and then in uh, two thousand nine it moved to uh, to two to six, and it's pretty much been the same uh, for the last seven years. Now, when you first started with Will, because obviously anybody who has ever listened to your guys' show uh, on 1260 for sure, there's been a chemistry with you guys for, it seems, forever. Was that apparent right from the start? Were you guys able to have those kind of back-and-forth conversations right from the first day? You know what? It was It was actually it was weird. You're right. It wasn't something that we'd really talked about. It just kind of worked out. And, and Will and I could debate really well and go off at each other on air, and then we go to commercial break, we're like, yeah, that was a good one. And, and so people would think we were arguing, but, you know, we never really were. And it was funny, him and I talked about it once. There was probably only ever we felt one night that he felt I went overboard, with, and I can't even remember what I said. And then one time when afterwards I was like, hey, dude, that wasn't cool. But that's it. And when you think about it, as many shows as we did uh, together for, uh, I think we worked together for five years, there was only two nights where we left the studio. One of us each was annoyed at the other guy. And so, you know, that was always pretty good. And then uh, Will uh, eventually, uh, uh, you know, moved on. And uh, now, obviously, he's on the morning show with, with Nilsson. And, uh, you know, but those, those nights were great. Will and I, we had very vastly different personalities, uh, the two of us. We had different interests in certain sports. But, yeah, there was a good chemistry that way for sure. Do you look at it like him going to that morning show and, and doing very well with Nielsen? Do you look at that with sort of a sense of pride, like not only as, as a good buddy of yours getting a pretty sweet gig, but as someone that sort of came up with you? You know, it's, it's always cool. Rob, uh, Rob Kerr, uh, who I work with, like when I look back at our CGACA days, there was myself, Rob Kerr, AJ Jackiebeck, Fraser, and uh, Nielsen actually started very, uh, very late just doing the, uh, the Internet stuff. And you look at AJ's in Ottawa now, and, uh, you know, he does play-by-play for the Red Blacks and does some play-by-play for the – for the Senators at times in the 67s. And, and Rob Kerr, of course, is uh, um, hosting uh, the afternoon show at, at Fan 960. And then Fraser Nielsen in the morning. So, you know, really, like, we, we kind of, like, John had a pretty good stable of young guys and, uh, you know, gave everybody opportunity. But, you know, all those guys, really, the, you know, the main host guys, you know, are guys who just work hard. Right, passionate about sports and, and very different personalities. Like Rob's a zany guy, and AJ's 
you know, we always use the angriest broadcaster I know in a good way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and Nielsen's funny. And, and, and Fraze is probably, Fraze is probably the calmest of the five, I would think, for sure. Right. Uh, and probably, the, you know, the least sports junkie of the five, but he, he fits in well for what his role is. But he probably doesn't take sports as serious as us. He's probably smarter that way. <laughs> now, the, when you moved the show from evenings, and I mean, it, it was almost an overnight show, like you said, going 11 to 1, going into that post-midnight section, which would be great for, like, when there was an Euler game or something like that, you could do some post-game stuff. But when you got to move to the drive show, you were moving into a spot that was previously held by a guy named Bob Stoffer, who had really built up a huge following in that time slot and was now going off to work for the Edmonton Oilers. Was there any nervousness on your part about having to step into some fairly big shoes? No, not really. Um, yeah, Bob and I get along very well. Um, you know, our, our audience, I, I felt confident that, uh, you know what, I got to be myself. I, I couldn't change who I was. But there was also some motivation because the guy who I'm friends with now, you know, George Larac at times says things that maybe regrets it. He was on air and said, uh, you know, he made a joke about Bob on his last day when Gregor was going to take over. And George said, oh, he's going to bomb and made a bomb sound effect. And that just pissed me off. And I was like, well, you know what, I'll show Larac and I'll show everybody else. So, um, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of what I've done with, with the show from three hours. Now it's four hours. And, um, you know, the ratings have, have constantly been good. Uh, you know, TSN, uh, when we switched over from TM 1260 to TSN, I think gave us a big boost of just credibility because even non-sports fans have heard of TSN. Some of them hadn't heard of Team 1260, but they've all heard of TSN. So, you know, it makes it better. And it's, you know, it's good to have competition. Um, you know, I, I don't really have any direct competition in my time slot uh, right now in Edmonton, but obviously there's guys before me and Bob and, you know, after me and Reed Wilkins and on our own station that it's, it's a healthy competition. You know, if they do a good show, you want to make sure that your show is still up to par and that, you know, listeners, whether they like you or dislike you, are still tuning in. The one thing that 1260 has, um, has always missed since its inception was the broadcast rights to the two big franchises in the city, the Edmonton Oilers and the Edmonton Eskimos. Now, some people say that it's tough to be a sports station without the major broadcast rights. Other people say that it's almost better because you're not beholden to the team. You can go on and and carve the Oilers if they're worthy of being carved without having to worry about the PR guy kicking the door down and saying, what are you doing? Which side do you sort of fit on? Or do you think it's a combination of both? I guess it's because it's all I know. I prefer not being the rights holder. That's just my own personal thing. I, I, I wouldn't want to have to uh, have somebody tell me what I can or cannot say. I, and I do think that's overblown a, a little bit as well. I think you can be a rights holder and, and still be critical. You have to be fair. And, and, and healthy organizations don't, don't try to tell their radio hosts what to say or not to say. Right? I, I'm not a guy who goes on my show and, and takes personal pot shots at people. I, I make an honest, uh, what I think is an honest assessment of the team or the players or, or what they're doing. And if people agree, it's great. If they don't, that's fine. Um, you know, I, I've had over the years, you know, text messages and emails from, from people on the organizations and, uh, you know, usually critical of something I've said negative about the team. And I always respond and say, hey, the minute I hear a text message from you saying, hey, thanks for the positive things you say, I might take into account all the negative stuff you say, right? So if you're only going to bitch about somebody, and I do a lot of positive things about both teams in town, um, and, you know, I have a healthy relationship uh, with both organizations, I believe. You know, some days they don't agree with what I say, and that's fine. Like, you know, you're not going to agree with a host every day. It's impossible. So uh, as long as I, I don't as long as long I don't feel that I would take – I would never say anything on radio that I wouldn't say to their face. That's, that's truly how – that's kind of my motto has always been. And 
I go in the locker room every day. I talk to the players and in social media now, if, if you ever said something that critical and I've had players come up to me and we've disagreed in the, in the dressing room or with management and, you know, you, you kind of be grown men about it and they don't have to like it, but I have a job to do and my job is to express an opinion and, and it's sometimes to, I feel inform the sports audience. And if they don't agree with everything I say, that they're right. But, uh, if, if I'm happy that they could never say, well, we're the rights holder, so you can't say that. So I, I've never been in that situation. You know, I would hope it doesn't work that way, but if it did, I'd prefer to be in the slot that I'm in. You said you've gotten some text messages from people in the organization. Have you ever had a player get in your face about something that you've said, like like person to person and not over the phone? Well, the funniest one uh, was when a player, uh, George Lerac, funny enough, um, came right up to my face in the uh, order room and yelling and screaming and cursing at me about something I had said. But the funny part was it wasn't me who said it. It was Jake Daniels, that bastard. And uh, so George had heard it secondhand. And, and that was probably, like, George a big man, right? Like, obviously, everybody's seen George Rack. He beat the hell out of us. So, so George comes in there. He's kind of breathing fire. And I'm like, George, I don't know what you're talking about. And I literally did not know what he was talking about. And, um, you know, J.J. Bear, the PR guy, comes running over. You got the wrong guy. And so, you know, 20 minutes later, George had calmed down and we laughed about it. But I tell you, you know, for a few seconds there, I was like, man, is this guy going to knock me out? Because I, I truly didn't know what he was talking about. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't me that said it. So, no, I've never had a player. I mean, I've had some guys disagree with, with stuff, like in an interview, say, well, that's a dumb question. What are you trying to do? And then we've kind of got into it. But nothing, nothing ever over the top where I felt was – um, where where they felt that you know it was a big disrespectful thing. Sometimes a player is annoyed about something and maybe asking the question the wrong way. And, and I've always believed that it's the player's right to voice if they're upset. You know, don't go and get the PR guy to do it. Do it yourself. So I've always appreciated if a player had an issue with me that they would come and address it man to man. Now, we talked about uh, having the rights and not having the rights to the big franchises, the Oilers and the Eskimos, but 1260 did get their fair share of broadcast rights for some of the other sports teams in the city, which got you the opportunity to get back to some of that play-by-play that you were talking about you got to do at Nate and at CJCA, including uh, National Lacrosse League with the Edmonton Rush. What was that like? when uh, did, did you approach them about taking that gig or did they approach you? I actually, at the very first press conference, I walked up to their owner, Bruce Servant, and I walked up, I shook his hand, I said, hi, Bruce, I'm Jason Greger, I'll be your play-by-play guy. And he looked at me and was like, what? And I was like, well, you guys are going to want to do games on the radio, and I think that I'm perfect personality to do your games. And then two months later in negotiations, I got the job. So uh, sometimes you, you got to be, uh, you know, you got to sell yourself. And uh, it lucked out. I had a blast doing lacrosse on radio for years, and then uh, on TSN for the last two years on TV. And you know, it's a fun sport, and it's, uh, you know, I, I know it's in Saskatchewan now in, in Saskatoon, and uh, it's kind of a bittersweet time for me. Uh, I love doing the game. I really became a fan of the game. It's one of the more exciting games to watch, and I'll still watch the game now. I've become a fan of lacrosse. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Edmonton will get a team uh, in the future. It, they should have never left. It's, you know, I don't even want to get into that, but it's a, it's a stupid decision by all parties involved. They should be able to come to an agreement. And lacrosse fans in Edmonton are hurting from it for sure. There are a lot of people who are probably listening to this who want to get into sports broadcasting. We always ask uh, for advice from our guests, for people who are listening, for people who are just getting into radio. You've already kind of said that a big thing for you and the CJCA crew that has gone on to do these great things was just head down, work hard. Is there anything else that you would say to people who, again, want to crack one of the toughest facets of broadcasting? Honestly, Drew, you're right. I think work ethic is, is, is the basis of anybody's foundation. But the other one is 
curiosity and flexibility. You've got to be willing to do anything. Like when I got into it, I didn't have a plan to do sales. Um, I learned to set up all my own equipment. Never think you're above anything in radio. I still do all my live remotes. I set up all my own equipment. I don't think it's below me. You know, I, I, I'd like to do it because if there's ever something wrong, I think I could fix it right away rather than have to wait for someone else. So uh, I think you, you want to be somebody who's willing to try anything in the industry, right? But you might have to start as a street teamer. You might have to start doing overnight. Uh, you know, you, you might have to get into sales or whatever it is to get your foot into it because now, you know, there's a lot of big companies that own it. And so if you can get in and make an impression in, in one city, you never know, you know, that guy might be talking to the guy in Edmonton or the guy in Regina or the guy in Saskatoon, and that's going to open up another door for you. So I think work ethic, be, never say no to an opportunity, even if it's not the first path, because very few people just have this straight path exactly where they want to go, right? I was doing internet broadcasts. I never even heard of what they were at that time. And, you know, I ended up doing sales and so many other things. So I think that would probably be my advice is never, you can have your end goal and never lose sight of that, but realize that your path probably isn't going to be perfectly straight to where your end goal is. Is there anybody coming up in sports right now that you think people should be keeping an eye on, possibly the next Jason Greger, so to speak? Uh, well, uh, there's probably a lot of guys more talented than that. Uh, uh, <laughs> a, guy, a guy that I work with who I've took on, Mark Majot. I'm a big fan of Majot. Um, he, he adds a real different angle uh, to things, uh, it's just kind of adding uh, music and stuff. And one other guy who I think is really skilled in our building, a young guy, is, is uh, uh, Eric Holt. He goes by the, the name uh, Lieutenant Eric. Uh, he's a big soccer fan that's becoming bigger uh, and more popular all the time in Canada. But he's got a real quick wit to him. And I think as sports broadcasting evolves, well, you have to be a sportscaster. A lot of my show, you know, we do segments where we talk about gaming or, we, you know, we talk about things that guys are interested in. And, you know, it can't just be, you know, the, quote, sports nerd 24-7. You've you got to have some fun. You've got to be able to relate to your audience. And uh, I think those two young guys are guys probably in the next, uh, you know, four to five years that will be hosting their own shows for sure. And one last thing, what's left for you? I mean, at this point, you've got a successful drive show. You've got to do play-by-play for some pretty big teams. You've got to be on TV and on radio. Are you happy where you are, or are you, with the work ethic, still grinding towards that next thing? I always look for for different opportunities. I I got into Oilers Nation and writing something I'd never done, and I love that. And now the Edmonton Journal, uh, you know, three years ago got me as a weekly columnist now. Uh, probably the next thing, honestly, is podcasting. Um, I've, I've got a few ideas with the, you know, some bigger name guys that I, I think I want to do a podcast, the two of us, and just kind of have some fun things about about you know sports. And, and eventually, I will get out of sports, and I want to get into something that actually impacts life a little bit more, isn't just playing in the playground. Uh, uh, so eventually, I probably want to get into newscasting later on, just because I think you know there's a lot of other avenues and ways to impact the world rather than just sports. I'll tell you right now, man. Nobody listens to podcasts, or at least not this one. <laughs> well, you know what? That's good, though, because then I can say whatever I want. And I can't always say <laughs> That's right. That's right. why I want to get into a podcast. Uh, last thing, how we always wrap up the show is first, I'll say thank you. You got a great story. It was great to catch up with you and, and hear it all again. The last thing that we do is the guest gets to pick the last uh, the last thing that happens on the show, the spin of the week. So is there is there a tune that we should play? Well, if, uh, if you're going to play a song to end the show, it should be Bust the Move by Young MC because it is the greatest rap song of all time. Bust it. This here's a jam for all the fans. 
fellas Try to do what those ladies tell us Get shot down cause you're overzealous Play hard to get females get jealous Okay smarty, go to a party Girls are scantily clad and showing body A chick walks by, you wish she could sex her But you're standing on the wall like you was Poindexter Next day's function, high class luncheon Food is served and you're stone cold munching Music comes on, people start to dance But then you ate so much, you nearly split your pants A girl starts walking, guys start gawking Sits down next to you and starts talking Says she wanna dance cause she likes to groove So come on fatso and just bust the move Someone could cure your lonely condition Looking for love in all the wrong places No fine girls, just ugly faces From frustration, first inclination Is to become a monk and leave the situation But every dark tunnel has a light of hope So don't hang yourself with a celibate rope New movies showing, so you're going Could care less about the five you're blowing Theater gets dark just to start the show Then you spot a fine woman sitting in your row She's dressed in the yellow, she says hello Come sit next to me, you fine fellow You run over there without a second to lose And what comes next? Hey, bust
Thanks for listening to the Off Mic Podcast. Follow the show online at Off Mic Podcast on Twitter or like the show on Facebook. If there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show, email offmicpodcast at gmail.com. The Off Mic Podcast is a part of the Dolby Radio Network.